Hello everyone, and welcome to Punaviada Asia's monthly podcast, DFNA Food and Beverage Trailblazers. This is a series where we speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage startups in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearly, the editor of Punaviada Asia, and as always, I am your host for this series. Joining me today is Mark Livings, CEO and co-founder of Australia-based non-alcoholic spirits firm, Liars. Liars just launched last year but has already made some major waves in the industry by bringing home 10 awards in the recent 2020 San Francisco World Spirits Competition, which is one of the most influential spirits competitions in the world. So Mark, first of all, congratulations. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Pearly. It's uh, really good to talk to you and very much appreciate the congratulations. We're, uh, <laughs> we're immensely proud of our uh, awards mm. from the San Francisco Global Show, so thank you. Mm. Yeah, I can totally imagine that. It's I have to say, like, you know, 10 awards, that's like really something. So let's start with that, you know, like, I'm sure a lot of people are really curious, you know, this is a spirits contest and you took home, let me, let me check this again. I think it was two goals, four silvers and four bronzes, if I'm not wrong. So what do you tell me more about that? Sure. So I guess um, <laughs> what's really interesting about the awards is they were awarded in traditional alcohol categories mm-hmm. rather than being um, awarded in a, a new non-alcoholic spirits category. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess what it tells us is that the, the liquids that we've m- managed to produce uh, are able to go toe-to-toe with the spirits equivalents yep. in the traditional categories. And the second thing is that um, you know, we see a number of these global innovation, sorry, global spirits awards, global beverage awards. For the most part, there's no non-alcoholic spirits category yet. So it's such a new and innovative category that um, mm-hmm. the world is still unpacking this new beverage category within spirits. So mm-hmm. given that we had no route to be recognised uh, with our own category, we thought we'd sneak into the existing ones and mm-hmm. we did really well. Um, we've created 13 homages to mm-hmm. the existing alcoholic spirits originals. The ones that uh, took home the gold in the San Francisco Global Spirits Competition, um, our Aperitif Rosso, which is our mm. homage to a Rosso vermouth, uh, that took home a gold. And what's really interesting, uh, earlier in the year, we also took home the double gold um, Best in Show Award from the SOMCON Awards in the US as well, which was a blind tasting um, involving eight master sommeliers and four wine journalists. Uh, There's a nice little pattern emerging here with regards to our spirits. So that's probably our most iconic and most well uh, decorated of of our variants. Mm -hmm. Congrats again. And, you know, I'd like to shift the focus back to the company itself like liars so perhaps you know let's start you know with your motivations and why you chose to start a non-alcoholic beverages company which in a way you know is pretty niche yeah very much so um we clearly we're hoping that it won't remain niche uh Mm -hmm. in the longer term but what we saw and this was around three and a half years ago before the category really got moving um Mm -hmm. We saw that there was a lifestyle shift sort of underpinned by the consumer macro trend that had been going on for 10 to 15 years now with regards to more mindful consumption and uh, health and wellness as a major Mm. driver. It's the same thing that's powering the non-alcoholic beer, uh, spirits, and I guess more recently the non-alcoholic wine trend. Mm. So we saw that there was a a distinct lack of innovation in the spirits space Um, Mm -hmm. and So we looked around and um, we found, um, I guess we hypothesized a way of building these beverages that 
was very, very non-traditional. So we thought we'd take a highly innovative beverage technology approach mm-hmm. rather than do something traditional like let's distill a spirit and then de-alcoholize it. Mm-hmm. We chose instead to break down a traditional alcohol spirit and attempt to rebuild it at the molecular level mm-hmm. just without alcohol. We've been able to achieve using beverage technology mm-hmm. um, what no other company using what could be considered romantic but uh, less effective methods of replicating Mm. spirits and delivering a good quality beverage. How we make them is we isolate um, natural essences, extracts and distillates. Mm. Um, We re-blend them into a water base. Mm -hmm. Um, We combine them with our proprietary alcohol base and what that's doing is it provides a thicker, more viscous mouthfeel, similar to how mm-hmm. spirits um, would normally behave on the palate. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that our base does is that it provides a synthesis of what the alcohol burn would feel like on the palate. Mm. So what we've done is we've leveraged natural ingredients that will agitate the palate uh, on mm. the way through in a similar fashion that ethanol does in wow. order to, I guess, trick the brain into thinking that you've got an alcoholic beverage in your mouth or in your Mm -hmm. beverage Mm -hmm. we use some very very interesting food technology um including stuff like nano emulsions that are on the Mm -hmm. cutting edge of beverage uh beverage science and that means we've got you know very very powerful uh, nanomolecules of natural flavors it's it's one thing to have the technology available to you Mm-hmm. The second thing that you need to have is an enormous library of natural ingredients that mm. you can draw on. Um, I also like to ask, what was the inspiration behind the name Liars? I saw that it has something to do with a bird, correct? Is there any sort of yeah. story there? <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Um, like, and, and for me, as, a, as I guess a lifelong brand builder and marketeer, mm-hmm. All the best brands have stories to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been really, really careful to layer a really lovely story behind, you know, the label on the product. Look, you can probably hear it in my accent. I am Australian. Um, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so look, um, the Australian lyrebird um, is actually a really unique animal. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes it unique is its ability to replicate the bird song of any other bird that it hears. Mm. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating, uniquely Australian um, animal. Yeah. And for us, for a brand that's based on mimicry mm. to the original, yeah. we thought there was no better uh, mascot than to mm. lead our brand than the Australian yeah. lyrebird. Um, so with the lyrebird out the front of the brand, uh, leading it as our key icon, um, we then needed to name the brand. So we landed on the word liars. Um, which is a shortened version of Lyrebird, of course. Um, and why we found that particularly compelling is because it also phonetically works like it's a little secret for you and the bartender to have. So what we were <laughs> hoping is that um, we don't need people to learn a new brand mm. and they've already got their favourite drinks. Mm. So if your favourite drink, Pearly, is uh, let's say it's a Negroni, and mm-hmm. mine is an old-fashioned. So mm-hmm. I could go to the bar, and if I'm not drinking alcohol, uh, but you are, I could say, excuse me, bartender, could I have a Negroni, please, and an old-fashioned, but make the old-fashioned a liars. So it's like mm-hmm. um, we've got a little secret together, yeah, the bartender yeah. and I, and no one needs to know that I'm not <laughs> drinking alcohol 
all they need to know is that I have a delicious beverage that mm -hmm. looks, smells and tastes exactly mm -hmm. like the alcoholic original. The last part of, I guess, the brand architecture is our labels. Each of the different variants has an animal. And for a brand that's based on an homage to the original, mm -hmm. our labels also pay homage to the providence of the original spirit. So mm. um, the animals are all from the countries where the original spirit was found. Ah. So our homage to bourbon, for example, contains the stencil artwork of a North American black bear. So mm. it's our little way of, of, of uh, paying tribute to the creators of the original spirits that, mm. um, that we're paying homage to in a non-alcoholic form. If we go a little bit broader now, let's talk a little bit about the non-alcoholic beverages market as a whole. So what can you tell me about, tell me about you know, how this is looking in the APEC region? Mm. Um, this, the health and wellness megatrend seems to have transcended uh, geographic and cultural boundary, boundaries mm. um, and, is, and is pushing and um, moving people into this category regardless of where they're located. Asia is an incredibly uh, rich um, place with which to sell non-alcoholic spirits. It's a sophisticated consumer set, particularly in markets like Hong Kong, Singapore and the major cities uh, mm. in China, Taiwan, uh, etc., so consumers are looking for a sophisticated beverage occasion that's layered behind the theatre and pageantry of going to a beautiful bar. Mm. But often they still want those things without the alcohol and the alcohol side effects. Um, so that's what our, our brand has been able to offer um, mm. people in Asia and it's, it's gaining traction very quickly. What's been most surprising is... Um, how enthusiastic the mainland Chinese market is for this product. Mm. Um, and what we've learned since is that it's primarily young people driving mm. the demand for this. It's, it's been really fascinating to unpack this new category for Asia and find out what's driving people in, in each of the different markets. In general, you know, what are the outstanding challenges, you'd say, for the non-alcoholic beverages category in Asia in particular? Number one is awareness. So mm. people aren't aware that the category exists. Mm -hmm. um, so having awareness that there are um, non-alcoholic spirit alternatives that allow a mixologist um, to craft something beautifully sophisticated is the first battle that we need to win. Mm -hmm. um, so education is the, I guess, the key challenge, number one. Mm -hmm. The second one uh, is value. And um, there's, a, there's a really interesting perception around value in this category. So what we found is that people within the industry, uh, buyers for major retailers, uh, mixologists, bar owners, they're conflating alcohol content with value, whereas the consumer does not conflate alcohol mm, content with value mm, mm, at all. Mm -hmm. Our research shows us time and again, market by market, and Asia is no different, is that people aren't buying the alcohol content of their beverage. They're buying an occasion. They're mm. buying inclusion in a group activity where they're celebrating something or they're connecting over a beverage with another human. And mm. for them, alcohol is so far down the list of their considerations in terms of what they're prepared to pay mm. for. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the third one is regulation. Um, ah. And our product, because they don't contain alcohol, 
are regulated like a soft drink, which mm. much like tobacco is moving from regulation to hyper-regulation. Yeah. So for, for us, um, getting our products complied to what is a patchwork of mm -hmm. different regulatory environments, not only, you know, continent by continent or region by region, but country mm -hmm. by country. Mm -hmm. um, and in the case of some countries like the United States, for example, it's state by state. There has to be different things mm. on the label. Now I'd like to move in a little bit more to yourself as an entrepreneur. So okay, I, went sure. to look at, I went to look at your LinkedIn. I see you've been in investment in tech and marketing and branding, obviously. But yeah, so you did say that you have been closely aligned with beverages before. So um, I began my career um, early on in my early 20s with the Coca-Cola company. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, um, I always preferred the smaller team and smaller business dynamics. I founded my own marketing agency with my business partner, Nick. And then what we did, instead of trying to expand internationally, we took a really different route to what most people would otherwise do we ended up expanding down the vertical. What we then moved into is providing the materials that supported a brand. So we started a printing business that was mm. very heavy on personalization. And we also started an import business. And then we just kept going down the vertical. So we then started a logistics and fulfillment business. And what's been driving that is some significant investment in software that allows us mm. to service our multinational CPG sector clients. So what we realized uh, is that we had a full, to borrow from the software industry, we had a full stack of services that the way we like to put it, it allows us to do everything you could possibly need for a brand to succeed ah. outside the bottle. Mm. So we can brand it, we can promote it, we can ship it to the consumer, we can do everything that's required. Mm -hmm. So what we needed to solve for was how do we do what's inside the bottle? So when we sort of launched into um, building our own consumer products alongside supporting our own clients, um, we found that we were able to accelerate to market much faster and we could take a global from day one approach. I, I like to think we're sort of creating a new normal for innovation in the CPG space where small teams are recognised to be able to build and mm. scale businesses um, to commercial success uh, with a little more impact than a larger business feels like to me that we've sort of accidentally stumbled on the secret <laughs> to uh, innovation in the CPG sector <laughs> in food and beverage. One of the changes I, I, that, that, that sort of caught my ear the most I'll say was what you mentioned from you know going from everything outside of the bottle to moving to something creating mm -hmm. something in the bottle so how different mm. was this like you know for you how how challenging did you find it in terms of you know making this sort of change um yeah look it's it's like any any new innovation um it's one thing to be uh, a great chef for example mm. and you're making beautiful delicious food that's incredibly well plated mm -hmm. but unless you tell people about it and invite them to your restaurant and get them to sit down and enjoy a meal with you mm. you can you can typically stay in the kitchen so mm. i have no doubt there's amazing products out there waiting to be discovered that um, teams or individuals have invented that they're trying to sell from you know street markets or out of their mm. car boot or yeah, with yeah. a simple a simple website that's uh that's not really helping them achieve the scale they need mm. to so 
it's, I think it's about having profound respect for the things that you're not good at and listening mm-hmm. to people who are better than them, mm-hmm. better than you at doing it. <laughs> Willing so, to collaborate, so, yeah. Got that's that. it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Any advice for those young entrepreneurs out there who are just starting out and wanting to do something different like you have? Yeah, for sure. Um, and look, I, I do a lot of lecturing to the Australian startup sector. Mm. Um, it's something I've been doing for many years now, mm. and um, it's something I take a lot of joy from. Mm-hmm. So in terms of advice, um, you know, stick to what you're good at. Um, one of the key mistakes I see a lot of startups making is that they, there's false economies in bootstrapping and trying to do everything mm. yourself. Mm-hmm. So stick to what you do best and leverage other people's expertise uh, in terms of building your business out. And yes, that does mean that you'll need to find some cash for it. But if you've got a good enough product, mm-hmm. if you've got a good enough minimum viable product or MVP, um, you will be able to find the money from investors mm-hmm. um, and use that in order to scale your product as quickly, professionally and get things done right the mm-hmm. first time rather than you wasting time and um, wasting your opportunity for traction by mm-hmm. trying to teach yourself new things that other people have developed mm-hmm. and that you can acquire for cash. So that'd be number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I think would be fail small. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes your brand is not the right product market fit um, mm-hmm. and you think it is and you test it, but, Here's the thing. Consumers are a moving target. They're consistently mm-hmm. changing their preferences. Um, so you might have a product, and the, the one that always sticks in my mind uh, is, is wheatgrass. Um, so <laughs> I'm not sure how old you are, Pearly, but do you, remember <laughs> the, uh, do you remember when wheatgrass was all the rage and you'd get your fruit juice and get a, get a wheatgrass shot? This was about 10 to 15 years ago. I have it is nowhere I to do. be found. <laughs> I remember yeah. it and I hated it, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. But that's a really good example of something mm. that was explosive in the mm. space of one or two years and mm. then disappeared overnight. Mm. So if you're a, a wheatgrass business shoveling resource into a category that no longer people want, that's a mm. waste. So you've got to be adaptive. And if you've worked out that your product market fit is no longer there, Mm-hmm. then close that brand down or close that business unit down or close that business down and start mm-hmm. again. It's not a failure of you as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. The ability to see when you're pushing uh, something that shouldn't be pushed is a failure of entrepreneurship. And it's mm-hmm. always better to fail small and yep. redeploy your resources in other higher growth areas on the way mm-hmm. through. So that'd be another key piece of advice. Okay. So business is teamwork and team, the best teams are multi-generational with mm. um, you know, older business people that have networks and relationships mm-hmm. and capital and experience, younger mm-hmm. people with imagination and innovation capability and energy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the best businesses mm. um, and the ones that often go the course to a, a great exit or a great outcome. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mark. It was really, really nice speaking to you. Likewise, Pearly, thanks for having me on your show. Thank you, and thank you everyone for listening to this podcast as well. And I wish everyone a great day ahead. For Food Navigator Asia, keep going.